Sunridge, how's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> Thank you for being here. Uh, my name is Danny Sugimoto. I have the privilege of serving here as the middle school pastor, uh, and I'm very, very, very excited to be back with you teaching uh, this morning. Uh, so this morning, we are going to be continuing a series that we've been calling Devoted. Uh, for the last several weeks, we have been looking at what it means to live a life that's devoted to God, uh, while also identifying the ways that God has shown devo devotion towards us. And if you remember, we have been defining devotion as the fusion of heart and commitment. Uh, and it's with that definition in mind that we are going to be approaching the topic of being devoted to prayer. But I'll let you know right now, uh, much of what I have here, much of the direction that we are going in, actually comes from your middle school students. Uh, last week, uh, I had a, a crazy week, and I, I landed like I had a flight that landed at 12.30 Friday morning, uh, and I showed up to church on Sunday, and I walked up to the quest room, and I told our middle school students, hey, I know it's my job to, like, have a message for you, but I don't. Uh, I've had this crazy week. I explained it to them, and I said, how about we do something else? Rather than me talking to you about whatever I think faith is in middle school, uh, how about you answer some questions for me? And so I sat with them, and I asked them questions about prayer and how they understand prayer. I asked them about the role prayer fits in, in their lives and how we can grow and, and adjust and, and give and take on this definition. Uh, and it's from that conversation that I had with these middle school students last week uh, that I formulated the direction that we'll be going in this morning. And so really you're learning from your middle school students, which is uh, amazing to me. But uh, let's, get, let's get back to prayer. And so this call, this call to being devoted to prayer comes from a couple different places in the New Testament. We are actually going to be looking at one that comes at the tail end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. In Colossians 4.2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So for Paul, like obviously, prayer was more than just a transition uh, in between sections of a worship service. And if we understand prayer to be the pathway for our communication to God, well, in these past few weeks, uh, I, I've had a significant increase in this communication with God. Uh, I've had a massive increase in the way that I approach God in prayer. See, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, there was this event uh, on television. You probably haven't heard of it. It's called the Super Bowl. Uh, and three weeks ago was the Super Bowl, and it was between the L.A. Rams and the New England Patriots. And I, like many of my friends, many fellow Americans, uh, lifted up prayers to God that Tom Brady and the Patriots would not win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Obviously, those prayers went unanswered, the LA Rams didn't show up to play, and it was awful and a very boring Super Bowl to watch, in my opinion. Uh, but then, that same week, actually, uh, I heard these rumors. These rumors were stirring about my favorite baseball team, the New York Yankees. And um, these rumors were that they were looking to sign this young free agent who used to be part of the Baltimore Orioles and was formerly part of the playoff series Dodgers. Uh, and they were, they were looking to sign Manny Machado to a $300 million contract over 10 years. And I was like, nope, not going to have that happen. So I lifted up some prayers. And I was like, hey, God, like, I love my Yankees. Uh, please, like, answer my prayer. And, and God answered my prayer. And Manny Machado signed a contract with the San Diego Padres. So, like, sorry, San Diego. Good luck paying for that. Uh, but then on Tuesday, on Tuesday, things got a little bit more serious. Uh, we had to take my almost one-year-old son to the urgent care. Uh, he does this thing when he's in bath time where if you pour water on his head, he, like, thinks it's a very heavy weight, and so he'll kind of just, like, do this. And sometimes he'll do it a lot faster, and he'll just, like, slam his face into the, the tub. Uh, on Tuesday, this Tuesday, uh, he, he decided that he was just going to stick his face underwater and suck up a bunch of water. 
And so he swallowed all this water and started choking. Uh, he, he turned red, and it looked like he wasn't breathing. And then all of a sudden, he looks like coughed, and stuff came out. And so my wife's like, what do we do? And I was like, call the nurse advice line. Like, I think he's breathing. I think he's okay. But like, just see what they say. And so we call the nurse advice line. And the nurse is like, well, just to be safe, why don't you come in? And so it's 9 o'clock at night. Uh, we have to drive to Riverside. It's the closest Kaiser Urgent Care. And so we drive all the way up to Kaiser. We're like praying the whole way there. We're like, I don't, I don't know if there's water in his lungs. I don't know if he's at risk of dry drowning. Like we're terrified. We're first time parents. We've never done with this, dealt with this before. We are freaking out. And we get to the urgent care. We check in. We sit in the pediatric waiting area. And it's like an hour. It felt like days. But we're sitting there for minute after minute after minute, just waiting for somebody to open a door and be like, Theodore, uh, and then get his vitals or whatever. And so we're waiting. They finally let us back. They take his vitals. The nurse, like, listens to his lungs, and he's like, well, I don't know, but the doctor's going to come anyway. And so they put us in a room. The doctor comes in. She listens to his lungs, and she's like, oh, he's fine. And I'm like, thanks. That would have been really helpful over an hour ago. And so not to be defeated, not to waste a trip up to Riverside, right across the street from the urgent care at Riverside is this restaurant called Raising Cane's. Uh, and so my wife and I, we pull into the Raising Cane's parking lot, we jump in that drive-thru, we eat delicious chicken tenders, and I lift up a prayer of like, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, for delicious Raising Cane's. <laughs> but then that Friday, I was having like a dad day with my son, and we were at Disneyland, uh, and I got a phone call from my mom. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning, and she says, hey, uh, just so you know, don't freak out, which is never a good thing for a parent to say to you. And so I said, okay, what, what's up, mom? And she said, well, grandpa fell. And when grandpa fell, he broke his arm. He broke one of the vertebrae in his back, and he broke his hip. So just, just be praying for him. We don't know what's going to happen, but just be praying for him. I said, okay. So right there in Disneyland, I'm like praying for my grandpa. Then two days later, it's a Sunday, I get a phone call. Uh, we had a combined service with Epic and Quest across the hall, and I get off stage, and I'm hanging out with some students, and my wife comes in, uh, and she's like, you need to call your mom. Said, okay, and so I look at my phone, and it's a text message from my mom, and she says, call me immediately, which is never a good thing to get from your mom. Uh, and so I call her, and I say, what, what's going on? She said, I just want to let you know the doctors decided to proceed with a surgery to try and fix Grandpa's hip. Uh, while they were giving the surgery, while they are in the process of the surgery, he stopped breathing. Uh, and so we don't know what's going to happen. They're, 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 he's in the ICU right now. He's on a ventilator. We're going to see where to go from here. But just, just be ready for the worst. It's okay. Later, uh, my sister calls me. She's, I love her to death, but she can be very dramatic. And, and she calls me, and, and she's crying. And she says, you, you need to get up here. You need to stop what you're doing. It's Monday. Stop what you're doing uh, and get up here. Find a flight. Get up to Sacramento. You need to see Grandpa. This, this is it. This is it. And so I call my wife, and I say, Nicole, like, I got to go. She says, okay. So she leaves work early. Uh, she comes here. We, like, buy a flight last minute to, uh, out of San Diego to Sacramento. And we're driving down to San Diego, which is not fun. Uh, and we get to the airport, and we check in. And the guy says, okay, your flight's leaving at 840. We're like, our flight's supposed to leave at 740. It's delayed. The weather's terrible everywhere. But okay. It's Theo's first flight. It's now delayed. There's a million people in the San Diego airport because all the flights are delayed. The Southwest Terminal in San Diego airport, if you've never been to it, don't. Uh, it's, it's, it's tiny. There's nowhere to sit. And so Theo, our, our lovely high-energy baby, is like, whoa! Like, I want stuff to do. There's lots of people. He's an extrovert. And we're like, please stop. We're tired. It's 8, eight o'clock at night. Like, ah! And so we're praying, God, we love Theo. But if you divinely knock him out for this flight, that would be wonderful. So we get on the flight, and Theo, first thing he does is stand on my lap and look over the seat at all the people on the plane, and he's like, this is my heaven. Uh, and so he refused to sleep. 
It's okay. If you're not going to sleep, at least sit still. He refused to sit still. And I said, well, thanks, God. <laughs> so eventually we land in Sacramento. Uh, it's late. We land late. Our flight was delayed. It's an hour and a half flight. The weather was terrible. And when we land, my dad calls me. He says, hey, um, I don't think Grandpa's going to make it through the night. So if you want to see him, you need to come now. And so my mom picks, uh, picks us all up, and she drops me off at the hospital. And I'm sitting in the hospital with my grandpa, uh, who's, who's basically in a coma at this point, and my dad and my aunt, and I say my goodbyes. I'm with them for about a half hour. And then I drive back uh, to my sister's house, where we're staying. And the next morning, we wake up, and we get breakfast. And a little bit later, we get a text message, a phone call, well, it's a text message from my dad, saying, hey, just so you know, he passed. And so I prayed in that moment that, that he'd finally be at peace that he'd finally be with my grandma who passed away a few years ago. And so we're with my family the rest of the week. We're hanging out with them, just celebrating being up there, which never happens, never occurs. We fly back Thursday night, and our flight again is delayed. Uh, I checked at 2 in the afternoon. Our flight was at 6 or 7, uh, and it said that our flight was delayed until like 10 o'clock at night. And I went, nope, that's terrible. Thankfully, it was only delayed an hour. We left at 7.45, but we didn't land. We didn't get back home from the airport until 12.30 Friday morning. That next day, Saturday, it's my one-year-old's first birthday party. And as I was sitting at this parks, and I got to see him be surrounded by all these people that love him and, like, adore him and cherish him, and they're passing him around and making him dance and laugh and giggle and have a good time. I was just overcome and overwhelmed by, by how many people actually love my child, which is amazing. And so I started praying that, like, God would help me and my wife, help Nicole uh, raise our son well and introduce him to Jesus. And continue to shepherd him towards the faith. I have done lots of praying these last couple of weeks. And I don't tell you that because I'm a pastor and I want to project this image that I have all my stuff together. And I don't tell you that because I want you to feel guilty that your, your prayer life isn't thriving and it's not healthy and you need to do more. But I tell you these things because the way that I have approached prayer for these past few weeks hasn't been an act of being devoted to prayer. But it's come as an act of being devoted to having things my way. It's come out of a devotion to, for easing my own personal fears and burdens. And that's not a life that's devoted to the fullness of prayer, but it's a life being devoted to doing whatever it takes to get the things that I want. But a life that's actually devoted to prayer understands that prayer is more than transactional. For the last few weeks, these have been the prayers at the forefront of my mind. God, my flight is delayed. Please let us get to Sacramento on time. God, my son might have his lungs filled with water. Please let him be okay. God, please, please let Theo sleep on this flight or sit still or at the very least not be the kid that cries the entire way. All transactional prayers follow that template. They follow this template. God, here is my situation. Here is the thing that I am dealing with right now. And here is my desired result. Here's the stuff that's in my life right now, but here's how I want things to happen. And there is most certainly a time and a place for these transactional prayers. If there weren't space for these things, then we wouldn't have verses in Scripture, like 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, when we pray transactionally, we are coming to God with our problems. We are coming to God with our hopes, with our dreams, with our fears, and we are asking for God to engage with us in that moment. We are opening a door for God to enter, and we are asking God to make the presence of God known in our lives. When we pray transactionally, we are also admitting that we are the ones not in control. 
that we can't figure everything out on our own as much as we would like to think, that we need help. Transactional prayers are sacred. They are honest and holy. It's one of the most direct ways for us to engage and connect and communicate with God. And so you might bow your head and close your eyes. You might kneel next to your bed or you might pick up sand and throw it at the waves. But whatever you are doing, you are releasing, you are communicating, I am hurt, I need help, I have needs, please be there for me. But what can happen is this transactional format can become the only way that we approach prayer. We can slip into this pattern of only praying to God when there's something that we need or something that we want. And for years, this is how I understood prayer. This is how prayer was taught to me. When you have a need, when there's something in your life that you want, you go to God and you say, hey, fix this. And then you wait for God to respond. It was a dedicated space for me to ask God for the things that I wanted in my life, the things that I wanted God to do for me. And scripture says, Jesus himself says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And so I thought there was only one way to interpret that. God is going to get me the things that I want. But I think that's an, a massive misunderstanding of what's going on here. But I do think that there is value in raising up prayers. I do think that there is value in, in, in making bold prayers in faith, believing that God is going to carry things through. But I also believe that we can't only go to God when we want something. I believe that we can't reserve prayer as the space to extend to God a list of things that we want, a list of things that we desire, a list of things that we need, a list of, of demands even, and then just leave it at that and say, that's my relationship with God, it's good enough. If the goal of the Christian faith is to have this thriving relationship with God, then we can't treat God like some divine, problem-solving, miracle-producing ATM. And if you have children that are currently in or have ever been in college, you know what this is like. I know what this is like because I was that son. In college, our cafeteria food was not good. It was terrible. That's why I learned how to cook, and I'm not even a good cook. We had a small glimmer of hope in 2010, but it faded very quickly. And so as a result of our cafeteria food being really gross, my friends and I would just eat out all the time. We'd eat out all the time. Dinner, we'd eat out. Breakfast, I wouldn't eat breakfast. Lunch, we'd eat out. All the time, we're going to these different fast food restaurants because we live in a college town and they're very accessible to us. But eating out all the time meant that I needed to have money. And because I was a freshman in college at the time, because I was 18, I didn't have a car, I also didn't have a job. Because I thought, there's no way for me to get a job because I'd have to like walk or whatever. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so because I didn't have a job, I had to rely on my parents to like fund my extravagant eats. Uh, and so what would happen is, is after like a week and a half of us eating, like uh, on Sunday mornings, I'd play music with Jed at a church. And then we would go to Witch Witch afterwards, like every week. We'd eat at the Witch Witch or we'd eat at the Habit. Uh, and we would get sandwiches and Oreo milkshakes like every single Sunday. Every Sunday, very expensive. It's like a $15 meal. But after like a week and a half of this, I would look at my bank account and I'd realize, oh, I have 30 cents in my bank account. I should fix that. And so I would do uh, the, the natural thing, uh, not get a job, not like work for my money, uh, but I would do this thing. I would just pick up my phone. I'd be like, hey, mom. And my mom would go, what do you need? 
And I'd be like, no, mom, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need anything right now. I just, I just want to, I'm calling to see how you're doing. And she'd say, oh, I'm good. What do you need? And I'd go, no, mom, like, I'm actually interested in like, what you're doing. And then she would proceed to tell me about her day, and I would realize in that moment I made a huge mistake. And so she'd be telling me about her day, and it would just be like uh, the background of like the Peanuts cartoon, where the parents, it's like, womp, 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 womp. And I'm like, uh, okay, when is she going to stop talking so that I can actually tell her I need 20 bucks? And eventually my mom would stop talking, and I'd say, hey, mom, like, I need money. And she'd go, I thought so. I already wired it to you. And I'd be like, oh, cool, you're the best. And then I'd hang up until like two weeks later when I call her again, and I'd say, hey, mom, I need 20 bucks. But what I didn't realize is that, is that in doing that, I wasn't having a relationship with my mom. It wasn't a mother-son relationship. My mom was just an ATM. My mom was just the means to an end. She was just the thing in the way of me going to Target or going to Disneyland or eating at Witch Witch with all of my friends again. And so I didn't treat my mom as a person. I treated her as an object, something to get me the things that I want. And what I didn't realize until many years later, which is very sad, I didn't realize that I was damaging our relationship. It wasn't a thriving, healthy relationship anymore. She was just a, a, a tool for me to use. She was just there. And when we treat our parents, our friends, our, 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 the people around us, and our God that way, it sucks the vibrancy out of the relationship. When we only go to God hoping that we get the thing that we want, that we, we go to God petitioning for this, we pray, hey, get this for me. But we only treat God that way. It restricts the relationship to only being about us, to only being about our needs, to only being about the things that we desire as individuals. Everything becomes centered around what we want and how we will do whatever it takes to get that thing. And we forget that the other person involved has feelings, has a life of their own, has desires and wishes and hopes of their own, has expectations of their own regarding the relationship. We forget that there's just someone else because to us, it's just an object. It's just a roadblock to get us to the next thing. But there's good news. Your prayer life doesn't need to stay like that. Instead of being simply transaction-based, God invites us into lives of prayer that break out beyond ATMs and into thriving, healthy, living, workable relationships. There becomes the freedom for us to make requests to God, to, to lift up the things that are on our hearts, to share the things that burden us, to seek our hopes and our dreams and our desires, but then we also expand the relationship. We expand our understanding of what prayer is, and we make room for God's voice and for God's desires for our lives. Because a life devoted to prayer asks, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? Central to the Christian faith is this idea that when we encounter Jesus, whoever we are when we first encounter Jesus, that's not our final state. When I first encountered Jesus, I was like a nine-year-old, very small, half-Japanese boy that got made fun of a lot and had very low self-esteem. Thankfully, I've changed. I'm still small. I'm still half-Japanese, but I no longer have low self-esteem. I still get made fun of, though. Just ask Mojo. Whoever we are when we first encounter God, that is not our final state. Because the minute you accept Jesus, the minute you say, I want to dedicate my life to doing this, I want to follow after you, I want to see what you're all about, and you go all in. You join in to a call to start to adapt your life 
to start to set a new course, a new goal for growing up into Christ and becoming more like Jesus in thought and behavior. There is forward motion and forward progress towards this new goal. And so the question of who am I becoming has everything to do with abiding in Christ. And the idea of abiding in Christ comes from John 15. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And there are seven of these I am statements. And every time he makes a statement, he's revealing a little bit about his nature, about his personality, his attributes. But using some language from from the Old Testament, he's also revealing God's character and God's attributes. And so in John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we take our prayers and move them beyond a transactional relationship, we can create space that allows for us to hear God's voice. And the language of prayer, then it shifts. It becomes not just what would I like to happen right now. What are the things that I want for my life? What are the things that I want for my career, for my relationships? But they also get joined together with, well, who do I want to be when this ends? What type of person do I want to be? How much like Jesus do I want to have become? How can I be the type of person who abides in Jesus more and more as every single day passes? How do I get there? We make space in our heart and our heads, and we start to shift things over and rearrange things so that we can align with the things that Jesus values. But in order to get to that point, We have to learn to restrict these voices in our head. And if you're anything like me, which which I hope you're not, because that would be very unfortunate, but I'll be praying for you. But if you're anything like me, there's lots of stuff that happens in your head on any given moment. For me, uh, I grew up playing music a lot as a kid, and so there's always like music stuff happening in my head. I like tapped a lot. I'm very fidgety, if you've never noticed. Uh, I move a lot. Just, Just watch my hands sometimes. Very fidgety, very, very movable. Things happen in my head all the time. And I'll have, like, rhythms in my head. I'll have, like, songs from, like, 15 years ago that just pop in my head. It's like, oh, remember that song? What a good song. But also living in my head uh, amongst this music stuff and these, this rhythmic thing is this nasty internal critic. Uh, I was telling first service, right before I got up on stage, I was sitting there next to Brit, and I was overcome with imposter syndrome. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's the idea that, like, you look at yourself and you look at what you're about to do, and you're thinking, like, I, I shouldn't be here. I sat there thinking, I'm 28 years old. I'm 28 years old, I'm about to step on a stage, which is a very special place, something that I don't take for granted, and I'm about to tell people who are much older than me about what I think and what I believe the Bible teaches us about prayer. These are people who have way more experience as being a Christian than me, people who have been alive a lot longer than me, and so that internal critic was like, you're not good enough, you're going to mess this up. That internal critic will also, when I'm like doing stuff for Quest, uh, it'll be like, nope, kids aren't going to like that, that's not going to be a fun game. That's going to be a terrible message. When I'm having a conversation with my wife, I'll say something and and the critic will be right there like, should have said that. You could have totally reworded that. You're a jerk. You're terrible. I have this awful critic that I can't turn off. And so what happens is I'll, I'll, I'll go to have a time of prayer. I'll sit down. I'll be ready to pray. And I'll think, okay, I'm going to dedicate my time for the next five minutes and I'm going to focus on God. And I'll sit at a coffee shop with my cup of God's nectar, and I'll be drinking it black because that's the only way to drink it. And I'll be thinking, okay, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. And I sit down to pray. And as soon as I start praying, the voices start to creep in from the outside. You're doing it wrong. God can't hear you. Aren't you worried that 
Someone in this coffee shop is going to ask you a question about what you're doing. Don't you think you look weird? Hey, also, don't forget, you've got a meeting at 1.30 today. You didn't prepare for it yet. Oh, don't forget, you've got a crazy message coming up uh, next week in Quest. Oh, don't forget, uh, your numbers look a little different last week than they did this week. Oh, don't forget this thing. Don't forget that thing. And by the time I'm sitting there, I, I feel like I've dedicated two minutes to praying, but it's only been about 30 seconds, and I'm no longer praying, but I'm thinking about all these other things except prayer, except for the thing that I went into with the intention of doing. These voices just rise up, and they can overtake us. They can overtake me. And so the first step in asking the question of who am I becoming is learning to silence those parts of your head, those parts of your heart that distract you from the answers. And we do that because a life devoted to prayer welcomes silence. In 1 Kings, there's this great story of one of God's prophets, Elijah. He's afraid for his life, so he runs away from everybody else. He heads off into the wilderness, and eventually he ends up at Mount Sinai, the place where, where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It's a very sacred and holy place. And God, when he gets there, calls out to Elijah, it says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, well, I've been doing your work, the thing that you've asked me to do because I'm your prophet. Uh, and as a result, I'm now afraid of my life. I'm afraid that someone's going to come and take my life. I'm afraid that they're going to kill me if I go back to the city. And God says, go to the mouth of the cave, and I'm going to walk by. So Elijah goes to the mouth of the cave, and he's standing there waiting. And while he's waiting, there's this great wind, and it shakes the mountain, and it breaks the rock. And Elijah's thinking, God is here. God's shown up. But God's not in the wind. And so a few seconds pass, and there's this earthquake. And Elijah's like, yes, this is it. God's going to reveal himself to me, but God isn't in the earthquake. And then there's a fire. And Elijah's like, yes, this is it. But God isn't in the fire. And after the fire, there's a gentle whisper. And it's God again saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? See, as much as we might want God, to be revealed in the mighty wind, in the earthquakes, and in the fire. As much as we might want God to really shake up our lives with extreme measures and crazy things, instead, God might choose to live in the quiet, to live in the stillness, which means that if we are dedicated to following after God, if we are devoted to being Christians, of having that title, of pursuing a life following God, then we have to become attuned to listening for the gentle whispers in our life. We have to persevere through all of the noise. And that means that we might need to start following the example of Jesus. You might need to set aside time in your schedule to disappear for a bit, to get away, to go off in solitude and wait on God to instruct you. That might mean uh, that you need to identify those voices in your head, the critics, the reminders, the, the polyrhythmic whatever that's happening in your, inside your head. You might need to identify that and start to push it to the outside and say, I don't want you to distract me from my God. That might mean that you need to learn to become comfortable sitting in silence and all of the crazy, scary, powerful things that God does when we sit in silence and seek the voice of God. Because in silence, you allow yourself to listen. You allow yourself to process. In silence, God might call to mind something about you that needs to change. Something about you that's keeping you from having a, a thriving relationship with Jesus. Something that's keeping you from being more like Jesus. God might reveal that the joke you made at work the other day was actually kind of mean, and nobody thought it was funny except you. God might reveal, hey, that thing that you've been doing, you, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to approach that person and say, I'm sorry. You need to, to learn humility. God might say, you think that you're awesome, but you're not living it out. 
You're not doing the things. God can reveal to us in silence crazy, powerful, uncomfortable things. And so what can happen is we decide to distract ourselves. We say, well, I know God is powerful in the silence, so I'm going to do everything possible to avoid that. And so we stay busy. We tag on things to our schedule that we don't need to add on. We go out of our way to find more and more things to do because we don't want to sit in silence because we're afraid of the things that God might ask us to change about ourselves and our lives and our habits. But when we approach prayer like this, when we learn to accept silence, when we learn to sit and listen for the voice of God, it expands our definition and understanding of prayer. It becomes a space where, yes, we get to speak to God, but it also becomes a space where God speaks to us. And so we return to prayer because it brings us closer and closer to God. We continue to invest time in listening for God's voice because it allows us to be shaped and molded and sculpted into a more accurate representation of Jesus in this world. We wrestle with silence and engage in acts of being quiet in our hearts and in the hopes that God reveals something to us about ourselves. And so we return to prayer over and over, and we listen for God's voice because we desire to grow up to be more like Jesus. But there's one more attribute to a life that's devoted to prayer. A life devoted to prayer is directed towards others. It is entirely possible for someone to sit down for an hour to pray, and pray for that whole hour, all 60 minutes, and have every single minute dedicated to themselves. Every single prayer dedicated to themselves. And that's okay. There's time and space for that. We each have our own desires and dreams and the things that we want to see exist in our relationships, in our careers, and education. But whenever Paul talks about being devoted to prayer, it's always joined up with this call to pray for others. And in most spaces in the New Testament, when prayer is addressed, it's related to praying with or for other people. It's an act of service. And Jesus prays in John 17. And his prayer isn't for himself and what he's about to do. His prayer is for the disciples and for all of the people who will come to believe as a result of the work the disciples do. And here in Colossians 4, Paul not only calls the church to be devoted to prayer, but he also calls the church to pray for him and his mission to continue to spread the gospel throughout the known world. As we develop into people who are devoted to prayer, we will find that our thoughts aren't the only things happening in our own lives. And we'll join up our thoughts with the events that are occurring in the lives of other people. We will become more concerned with the lives of others. We will become invested in their lives as well. And we will petition to God on their behalf. And so we continue to pray for others so that they might grow and develop and abide in Jesus. We pray for ourselves because every single one of us knows our individual hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And we learn to sit in silence and to wait for God to speak inspire, and act in our lives, knowing that every time we turn to God in prayer and remain open to the things that God might be inviting us into, that we are shaping ourselves into a living example of Jesus. And so I hope you know, I hope you believe, or I hope you learn to believe that God has invited you to speak to him. That God has invited you to step onto the platform and to voice your concerns, to voice your hurts, to voice the things that you want for your life. And I also hope you, you know that God invites you to listen, to sit, 
and to hear a word that might be difficult or might be really easy for you, but to hear the things that God is inviting you into, asking you to step through the door. And I hope you know that our God has invited you to enter into a life that is devoted to prayer. Let's pray.